I remember hearing stories of my granddad and grandma, uh, 1940-something, in the midst of World War II, Charleston, South Carolina, in the Navy shipyard, granddad was a a sailor uh, on land, grandma, teenager, growing up in Charleston, South Carolina. They tell the story of how they met. Granddad met a, a lady, attractive lady, and invited him to go to a social. He was always open to uh, socials with attractive young women at the time, and so he readily agreed. When he attended... Before ever seeing that lady that invited him, he saw another young woman carrying two pies, one in each hand. Him uh, easily being distracted by such uh, pies, followed her, and that was Grandma. And so we were raised on her pies and her cooking and but one of the things that was interesting is that granddad and grandmas uh, never saw that, that other lady. Wasn't there at the social, didn't see her anywhere, and when described to grandma, grandma had no idea who that would have been. And so to their dying day, they had uh, a certainty in their own heart that was an angel. Brought them together. Never to see that person again. Uh, And there they spent their life uh, doing ministry together, uh, raising up a family. I'm sure you probably have a a, maybe a similar story, or perhaps some of you heard of similar stories. It doesn't take you too long to, uh, when you start talking about spiritual things, to have someone tell some similar story of of someone that showed up and no one ever saw them, never knew them, and they just kind of disappeared, but yet they came in at a critical moment in time in their life, whether to deliver help of some sort or to bring people together, uh, and uh, they'll tell you these stories of, of angels. And then there are other people who will um, not just have such stories, but will tell you their name of the angel. And maybe we'll have a picture of the angel, our statue of the angel, and talk about their personal uh, experiences with this angel and how they have prayers uh, through the angel. And so you have all of these kind of a, a wide spectrum of experiences uh, that people might share. And so I want to give to you some of what scripture has to say about angels. We've going through the series, the truth series, uh, the truth about God's word, the truth about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, truth about the Trinity, uh, truth about mankind, uh, truth about salvation, uh, looked at the truth about resurrection, and so uh, let's talk about angels today. Uh, there's not many messages out there, and for good reason. Uh, when you read the Bible, you're not going to find your, your proof text on angelology, all right? Uh, and there's a good reason, because angels are just parties to present and bring attention to the real point. And so I want to try to do this at, at some risk of, of putting undue attention on it, angels, but to show what is the real point behind angels, uh, 
what, where do we see them in the Bible? What are their roles, their limitations? Uh, and uh, how do they work today uh, as Scripture has revealed them to us? And so uh, we first have the encounter with angels in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, I'm just going to do a little bit different what I normally would do. I, I usually like to have my text, and this is our text we're going to work on, we're going to work through and explain. Uh, but because of the subject, there's going to be some jumping around, which I hate doing. Uh, but this is just part of the subject of, of angels. But we're going to start here with Genesis chapter 3 uh, and see what's brought in. At this point, God has created the world. Uh, there's Adam and Eve. There's the garden. Uh, and there is sin that has now occurred. Uh, and so up to this point, there really doesn't seem to be any specific references to angels. And so the first exposure to angels is a little telling uh, about their role uh, in our life today, in the life of the world. Uh, and so we're going to just read this and, and glean some few, few lessons from this. So Genesis chapter 3, uh, and uh, we're going to begin reading uh, verse 22, uh, and go through 24. And in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this together. Genesis chapter 3. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, and knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden, to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden he placed the cherubim, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You may be seated. So for the first time, we come across this name, cherubim, and what they're doing. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically when angels are made. All we know that is in the Garden of Eden, after life has begun, the cherubim the angels were already in existence. Uh, and so you could perhaps um, theorize from that, that before God made mankind, he created a spirit world of angels. Though the text doesn't give us specifically when that is, we just know that when man's on, mankind's on the scene, angels are in existence already, and there seems to be some order uh, to these angels. In fact, it's implied with this name cherubim, uh, we see that name cherubim refer to a certain type of angels. And we'll see them always uh, around the holiness of God. In fact, you get the greatest exposure to this cherubim angel when uh, referencing the tabernacle and the temple. When God gives instructions to Moses uh, to make this tabernacle, you're going to see the cherubim as very prominent uh, in the design. In fact, uh, you see in uh, Exodus chapter 37, verse 7 through 9, that uh, the builder made two cherubim of gold, made them of hammer work on the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end, of one piece with the mercy seat, he made the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces one to another, toward the mercy seat, were the faces of the cherubim. 
So when we look at the role of angels, and specifically the role of cherubim, one of the primary roles we see in Scripture is that they are used to protect the holiness of God. To protect the holiness of God. You see this in the Garden of Eden. When man sinned, then the angels divide sinful man with the holy presence of God. And then when you see the Garden of Eden, the cherubim were made so they were overshadowing the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the, the mercy seat, which was to represent God's holy presence. So if you saw uh, the uh, Raiders of the Ark, uh, this was the scene uh, where they've got the angels on top of the gold box. And when the mercy seat's removed, then, uh, well, things get bad. Uh, and so it is somewhat a, a, a man's imagination of how the angels might work uh, if someone violated God's holiness. Uh, and so... Consequently, when you see the design of the tabernacle and then later the temple, not only do you see the cherubim on the ark, the embroidery doors, the veil that separates the most holy place, Scripture says in Exodus that this also was embroidered with the cherubim. And then the outer door to go into the tabernacle also had embroidered the cherubim on the doors. And in fact, in the most holy place in gold, uh, engraved were the cherubim, as well as some other uh, uh, things like pomegranates uh, that seem to have some kind of motif with the Garden of Eden. For that reason, I personally think the pomegranate may have been the forbidden fruit. I don't know. That's just my theory. Okay, uh, And so... Here you see this, not only in the tabernacle, but in the heavenly throne room itself. We get a glimpse of this in the book of Ezekiel. If you'll turn with me to Ezekiel for just a little bit, Ezekiel uh, chapter 10, verse 20 through 22, God gives what we call a theophany, all right? This is the big word today. Theophany is the uh, revealing of God. Uh, to mankind. And so we see this in Isaiah 6, we see it in Ezekiel here, where God gives some experience to a man where they get a glimpse of the heavenly throne room. In Exodus chapter 10, Ezekiel is writing down what he's observing. In verse 20 through 22, he gives an encounter with these beings. These were the living creatures that I saw underneath the God of Israel by the Shibar Canal. And I knew that they were cherubim. Each had four faces and each four wings, and underneath their wings the likeness of human hands. And as far as the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I'd seen by the Shibar Canal. Each one of them went straight forward. And so we have this kind of unusual scene of what these cherubim might look like, and here they are again around the throne room of God. Again, representing their protective presence, God's power over His holiness and His presence. So, let's, uh, let's do a little review on Easter and the, and the cross. You might remember what happens when Jesus dies on the cross, and Matthew records some of this for us. Some things were destroyed. Some graves were ruined, uh, the earth shook, and in the temple, something unusual happened. The veil that separated the most holy place tore, and the Bible says, tore from the top to the bottom. Now, when you read Ezekiel, you have to understand that on that veil, 
were the cherubim. And so when the Bible says that the cherubim would tour from the top to the bottom, the cherubim have been removed, the protective barrier of God's holy presence through his, his angelic force are no longer guarding his holy presence because through Jesus Christ and what he is doing in our life, we can have access to God. We're going to talk about a little bit more about what that means. Uh, just something I can't hold back. I got to just tell you right from the get-go uh, about what that means. So what are these cherubim doing? And then what is the angelic host doing by and large? Well, Psalm 130 verse 20 says this. Bless the Lord, all you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord, or the voice of the word. So when we see that, we see throughout the Psalms and other places that by and large, in God's presence, are angelic, what the Bible uses the word host. That is another word for army. I don't know if you realize that, but when it says the Lord of hosts, he is saying the Lord of angelic armies. But by and large, they are in God's presence, giving praise to him and doing God's bidding. Now the word angel literally means messenger. So when you see that, all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Greek word, angelos, is the word for messenger. And so as they have a, a very specific task of, of revealing God's direction and his word to his creation. And now, as we keep on reading, what are some other jobs or some other roles we see angels doing? Uh, well, we go to uh, the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 32, verse 1 and 2, we see as an example, and we see this done many times specifically in the Old Testament, Jacob, you know, he's one of the fathers of faith, but Jacob was somewhat of a scoundrel. And these are in the midst of Jacob's deceiving, conniving, cheating days. And he has lied to Laban, his father-in-law, and he's now running away from Laban, he's going back uh, toward meeting his brother who he deceived and betrayed and who wants to kill him. Uh, and on the way, uh, he has this encounter. Genesis 32, verse 1 and 2. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanim. So in Jacob's life, we see angels uh, periodically come in his life. And one of the things that Jacob testifies is angels come to guard his way, to protect his way. In fact, Psalm 91 verse 11 says this. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. In fact, that was the promise Satan used to tempt Jesus. Don't you remember? God's got his angels to guard over you. Jesus himself said in Matthew 18.10, referring to children, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So when I read these scriptures, some people ask, is there such a thing as guardian angels? The Bible doesn't say whether or not an angel is assigned to you. That's often how we think of that, right? We think of like little Dennis Menace and the angel that is worn out and tired because he's, you know, exhausted trying to protect Dennis the Menace from dying. 
Okay? And a lot of times when we think about that, the Bible doesn't say necessarily there is specific angels assigned, but the Bible does reveal that there are guarding aspects that angels do perform, and Jesus seemed to imply that the children do have angels that are always before the Father who are with the children. So Jesus gave that as a word of warning. Be careful with them. Take care of the angels, or take care of the children, because God has protective service over them. Now, what does that mean for us? There's a guarding aspect of the angelic forces that are working. But there's something I want you to, to look at, and, and, and that they serve God's will to protect, and therefore they're accessible through prayer. What do I mean by that? We see evidence in Scripture where people pray and God sends his angels as his uh, way to reveal his power. All right? Let me, let me give some examples uh, to you about this. In Matthew 26, verse 33, this is the pivotal night of Jesus. He is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the opposition has come. With their swords and their spears. And the disciples are saying, hey, what? you know, we got a sword. What do you want us to do here? You want us to, to keep them at bay? We want to protect you? And Jesus responds by saying, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus is testifying that the angelic Forces are available by God through prayer. Have you thought about that? Another example we see this is in the Old Testament concerning Abraham. Abraham and his nephew Lot. Abraham has an encounter with angels himself and then turns into this vision of God talking to him. And God saying to, to Abraham, saying, I, I'm going to let you in on something. Sodom... Where your nephew is at is going to be destroyed because of their wickedness. And so, uh, they're just, Abraham's like, well, God, you know, surely if there's, you know, 25 righteous people, will you destroy them? And God says, no, no. And he keeps whittling down to say, if there's 10 righteous people, well, God, will you destroy them? And God says, no, if I find 10 righteous people, I will not destroy them. And the sad reality is they're not even 10. But through Abraham's prayer... The Bible says in Genesis 19.1, two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. Why did the angels come? It was God answering Abraham's prayer. So let me just share with you. Parents, there's a very real sense. As you being God's steward over children, that your prayers matter, and through those prayers, God can reveal his power to work his angels for God's purposes. It's something for us to think through uh, as we read the scriptures. But angels serve the pleasure of God's will, all right? Not your will, God's will. And so God's will is working through our prayers. 
As we learn to know what God wants and we see through Scripture how God serves His will and serves Christ and His purposes. Okay, so here, let me just give you some examples of how angels serve Christ and His purposes. Uh, first of all, we see the angelic proclamation of Jesus as birth. We see the angels proclaim uh, His resurrection. And we see angels proclaim His ascension. Those are the three primary roles we see angels working in Jesus' life. But then there are two other counters you may not have caught on to. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is the story of Satan tempting Jesus Christ. He's been fasting for 40 days. And he's in the wilderness. And remember, Satan comes and tempts him with saying, Hey, Jesus, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? Jesus responds, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father. And then Satan uses this scripture that we read in Psalm 91. Well, you know, God's going to give his angels to protect you. Why don't you just throw yourself off if you're really the Messiah, if you're really uh, God's son. Why don't you just throw yourself off and see how the angels come. And, and Jesus responds by saying, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then the, the final temptation that's given to us is that, well, you know, if you just bow down before me, all that you see in all the rulers and world powers will be yours if you just bow down and worship me. And, and Jesus responds by saying, man, uh, no, get away from me, Satan. God has commanded that we should worship the Lord God alone. And then Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Do you ever call that? The angels have come to serve Christ and his purposes. I don't know, maybe, maybe the angels were giving him some cinnamon bonds or something, you know? Some, some Pepsi or, you know, he's ministering to him after 40 days of fasting and the angels are serving him and strengthening him. You see another encounter with Jesus and angels in Luke chapter 22. Verse 42 through 44. Again, the Garden of Gethsemane. The same night that Jesus quotes to the disciples that if I, if I ask, God will send 12 legions of angels to protect me. But what you may not have caught on is that he just had an angelic experience. You know, this, is, this is easily the most difficult night of his life. Where the cross, whether it's going to happen or not, happen or not is, going to, is determined right here in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where the spiritual battle is at its peak, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying. The Bible records three different times waking up disciples and letting them know, hey, just watch and pray with me. And, and the, the tension of, of the moment was so great that the blood vessels are popping and the blood is uh, uh, leaking out through his sweat glands. And in that moment, Luke 22, verse 42, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in an agony, prayed more earnestly, and sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In that moment, angels came to serve the purposes of Christ, strengthening him, so that he could pray again. Isn't that interesting? Strengthening him, not so that the tension would be removed, not so that he would stop sweating blood, 
Not so that he would stop praying, but strengthening him so he could continue on. Sweating blood and praying. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we think, well, I sure wish God would bring an angel to me to uh, help me escape this stuff. Sometimes that's not at all what's going to happen. For Jesus, the angel came to help him to continue to endure the stuff, the hardship of what was there. And so we see how Jesus is interacting with angels. We see this again in the New Testament as we go in Acts. As people follow Christ and serve him, the angels still are coming to serve the purposes of Christ. In Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 17 through 20, the high priest rose up and all who were with them, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out, and said, go and stand in the temples and speak to the people all the words of this life. The angels are used in the New Testament church to enable God's saints to proclaim the message. We see this in Acts 5, you see this again in Acts 10, where God is preparing Cornelius to hear the message from Peter, and Cornelius testifies that there is a man in bright garments to to give him a message to send for Simon uh, in the Tanner's house in Joppa. And so, interesting enough, the angels proclaim glory to God at the birth of Jesus Christ. But after Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit comes, angels are no longer as quickly or or easily proclaiming the message on earth as they are helping God's humans to proclaim the message on earth. We see that ever, it seems to me that uh, uh, as we read this story in Acts chapter 5, why couldn't the angel just appear to Herod and tell him, hey, Jesus is God's son. He doesn't do that. He gets Peter and enables him to do that. Because there's some limitations to angels. Which is quite remarkable uh, when we consider how they come across. And most times when you see angels in the Bible, it's done with fear as a result. Because after all, they are God's warriors. They're God's warriors. We see them often used as agents of judgment of God. Uh, you see this in, in 1 Corinthians, Chronicles chapter 21, verse 15. God's giving judgment to Israel, and he's using an angel to bring about the plague. You see this in the Passover, that the death angel is the one coming uh, to bring death. You see this in Revelation chapter, 20, or chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there's no longer any place for them in heaven. So the angels are often used to bring about God's judgment, uh, God's wrath, uh, as being a military force that we see in Revelation as well as in the Old Testament in the spiritual realms. So, yeah, oftentimes when you see an angel in the Bible, the common reaction is shaking fear, feeling like they're going to die, even tempted to worship, but the angels refuse the worship. But sometimes the angels come without the visible glory. The Bible speaks of this as well. As we read, we see an example of this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. 
So, like Lot, he has an encounter with angels, doesn't really know who he's talking to until the power is displayed. The Bible shares with us that in the New Testament age, our age, the angels can come among us without revealing their glory. So, yeah, maybe these stories can be true. But it's done to teach us to treat people with the love of God. Isn't that interesting? That, that counter, Hebrews 13, 2, is given to us to encourage us to love people. It's kind of like the un, uh, undercover boss show, isn't it? It's like God's got his agents here just to see how his church is working. How his people are doing. There is a command among us as followers of Christ to treat people with love and respect regardless of who they are. He's checking on us. He wants to know how we're doing. And so sometimes they can choose to come without their glory and we not know who they are. Now what are some of the other limitations? Well, the Bible says Jesus gives us some insight Uh, In Mark chapter 12, verse uh, 25. For when they rise from the dead, referring uh, to those who die and have gone before, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. All right? Now, it's a common understanding that people have in our culture that when people die, if they're in uh, followers of Jesus Christ, they go in heaven and they become a angel but the bible doesn't say that anywhere so i know sometimes well-meaning people will say something to the effect to try to help us feel better when a loved one dies that well you know god just needed another angel all right so first of all god doesn't need fill in the blank doesn't need there's no lack in god all right He has perfect fellowship, harmony, unity, peace, love, without any of us ever being in existence. He just wanted us to be a part to display his glory. So the the fact that, okay, well, God needed somebody just is totally wrong. All right? But then when you add on to that, well, God needed this one to become another angel. Well, that just isn't in the Bible anywhere. All right? You make... You're saying it make yourself feel better, okay, but just understand it's not in the Bible that angels were in existence before uh, humans were. They were a separate being entirely. But what Jesus does say is that these angels are not married to one another. And so the Bible speaks of our future where marriage will not be. Anymore, A lot of folks get discouraged by that because they love their husband, they love their wife. But I'm going to assure you, you will not be disappointed. All right? We're going to talk about heaven some other time, uh, Lord willing, soon. Um, But your marriage is just a shadow that points to the real union and harmony and love and intimacy that you find with God and Jesus Christ. But I will say to you that you will love your husband and you will love your wife better and one episode in heaven than you will in 80 years here on this earth because in 80 years here on this earth there's always marred by sin but in heaven is no more marred with sin 
But it speaks to us that this is how angelic communion is, that there is not marriage. The Bible doesn't ever reference a female angel, always references male angels. I don't know if they are male or female, but my thought is that maybe it's not at all what we think of as gender to begin with. Just something to consider. Uh, Gender seems to be something unique to mankind, uh, that we were made in his image, male and female. Uh, So there are some limitations to angels. They're used by the judgment to display the judgment of God. They do have a guarding role, and they serve and encourage Christ and his purposes, and God's will through angels can be accessed through prayer to have them available to us. So what is the future role of angels? The future role of angels, it's in Mark 13, verse 24 through 27. Jesus speaks about the future. He says, but in those days... After that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be fallen from heaven, and the powers in heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So angels will be used at the end to bring together God's people. Uh, so with a voice of an archangel, as 1 Thessalonians 4 brings us, or as uh, Matthew or Mark tells us, that they will be used to gather up God's people all together. The Bible does give us some interesting insight about mankind's relationship with angels uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Interesting. For a while, angelic beings have a higher role than humans. But the Bible speaks of a time where in Christ... We will also be used in judging over angels. That's hard to comprehend, isn't it? Because I have a hard time selling squabbles with my kids. But you know, that's the point here is say, look, tap in to the wisdom of Christ. Tap into who Jesus is because it's in Christ that there will be these matters settled. And so that's why he says, church, don't. Settle for baser motives and methods in dealing with one another. There's a spirit of Christ. Surrender to the spirit of Christ and selling disputes with yourselves because it's by the spirit of Christ that we will deal with even angels in heaven according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 3. The Bible speaks a little bit about this role of angels in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 and 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, 
crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So he said, mankind's made for a little while, a little lower than angels. Jesus was made a little lower than angels to prove to the point that Jesus is greater than all. And if we are in Christ, then we are lifted up with Christ and reign over the angels. Now, when I read this scripture, and I've shared with you kind of a summary of stuff about angels, nowhere, nowhere does the Bible teach us to pray to angels. Angels do not receive our worship or our trust. They just serve as messengers. So that when we pray, the Bible teaches as Jesus taught us to pray, say our Father, which art in heaven. So when we pray, we're always praying to God the Father, never to Michael, never to Gabriel, or any other angel that may reveal themselves. You need to understand something. You could have a presence with an angel. You could have an experience with it. You may go home and you may take your, your after lunch nap, your Sunday afternoon nap, and you're just slumbering. And somewhere in between sleeping and waking up, you have an incredible vision. And an angel is there that knocks you down to your your feet. And you're like dead. And and this angel speaks to you. And you may say to me, Pastor, I've had this vision. Help me understand this. But if that message is contrary to what the Bible teaches, then I would say to you, Regardless of whatever experience you had, you are to reject that message. How and why would I do that? I would point you to Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Interesting, huh? Paul is saying, no matter if you get an angel from heaven giving you that message, if it's contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that is a cursed message. Don't believe it. So some of us wish, man, I, man, that'd be wonderful to have the. I'd be like Jacob and have this angelic experience. I'm going to tell you what what you have in the Word of God is more to you, more valuable to you than if you had visions of angels. So study it, read it, know it. 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to leave this, this thought to you. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 and 12 says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, us, today, And the things that have now been announced to you 
to those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. I share with you there's some limitations of angels. Limitations angels have that you do not have. This scripture says to me, what we've just experienced and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that, that message of God becoming sin for us, bringing to us righteousness, giving us his very spirit to be within us, to make us one with Christ. Nowhere does the Bible say that the angels become one with Christ. Nowhere do they get that position of knowing what it is to be redeemed and forgiven and to be part of God's family in Jesus Christ. Do you understand that what is available to you through what Jake and Kylie and uh, Kaylee uh, and Parker have testified in the baptism here today as well as those last week, what they have testified, angels would long to experience and be baptized to know what that is like, but they can't. They're limited. They're limited. So you can have those folks that take their angels and worship them if they want to. But why worship angels when you can worship God? Why have some encounter with an angel when you can have an encounter with God in Christ himself? Why have just some accompanying of angels when you can be accompanied with God? Why just be an angel when you can be one with Christ and a part of God's family? I share you from what this says in 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 12. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you can sit down and read the word of God and know that God is speaking to you and you can obey him, the angels want to help you do that. They want to help you proclaim the message as they've done in the New Testament. Yes, they'll be there to protect, but they're there to protect not just you, but they're to protect the holiness of God in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. The hope of God. The hope of the angels. The hope of the angelic presence is that Christ would be in you. So we get our introduction to angels in the Garden of Eden. But you know, I'm just one of those that if you read the beginning, you've got to read the end. Revelation chapter 22. We left the Garden of Eden with an angel guarding the way with a sword going every which way. Revelation 22. John has a vision. Verse 1. Then the angel showed me. The angel showed me the river of the water of life. Bright as crystal. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. You remember that tree of life? The tree of life that used to be in the Garden of Eden? It's not there anymore. It's been transplanted. It's right here in heaven. It's our destiny. And the angel no longer guards away. The angel shows it to us. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God, and now the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship him 
They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they'll need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And the angel has seen the whole story. They've seen it from the beginning when mankind was made, and they saw men to their heart, to their disbelief, dismay. Man reject the God who made them in the glory that is. And the angels have been a part watching all along the way. And they've seen the tree of life removed from the Garden of Eden, placed in heaven. And they've seen the, the tabernacle built. And they've seen their images portrayed on the tabernacle, protecting God's holiness. And the lambs that were killed and slaughtered. And the oxen killed and slaughtered to point to Jesus Christ. And they announced the coming of Jesus Christ. And they were they're ministering to Jesus Christ to re- reject Satan. They ministered to Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane and they proclaim the message and the resurrection and they proclaim the message and the ascension and they've helped the disciples all along the way to proclaim the message and there will be a day and time when they'll see the whole picture all together and they'll see you and they'll see me and they'll see every person of every tribe and God's dream, his kingdom coming together and the angels are just support cast. Let's worship God. Thank God for the angels. But don't thank the angels. They're just servants. Like you and like me. The only question that remains is, who will you serve? Let's pray.